Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I am a writer and an entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've wondered what makes life meaningful and what makes work worth doing. In my day job, I help schools and universities, entrepreneurs and leaders learn how to market and grow their reach. You can learn more about my company, Your People, at yourppl.com. I also am a writing coach, and I teach my signature Find Your Voice Writers Workshop, through writingworkshops.com and at makemeaning.org. I help people, organizations, and movements find their voice and gain the confidence to use it. Because everything we do means something. Why waste your moments? You are needed. You can make the world better. And by caring about the people you encounter and the tasks you take on, you get closer every day to finding your unique meaning and living life with purpose. This podcast focuses on all the many ways people make meaning in the mundane. You'll hear stories of courageous people daring to imagine a life they love. If you like what you hear, give us a review on any of the podcast platforms you find this show. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. During times of crisis, the ability to find a space to take a deep breath is essential. Many of us turn to the outdoors to find that peace and calm. I know I do. Whether it's the forest or the lake, the ocean, or feeling the soft dirt of the garden beneath my fingers, the thriving pulse of nature energizes me and calms me at the same time. One of the ways to interact with nature is by planting and nurturing living things, whether that's an overflowing backyard garden or a pot of basil in the sunniest spot in your apartment. Gardening has been proven to stabilize feelings of anxiety and depression, and it offers an easy sense of achievement when we see the literal fruits of our labors. Jake Neer is senior producer for Detroit Today on 101.9 FM WDET in Detroit. He's also co-host of the weekly series and podcast, Mishmash, and he's a crazy passionate vegetable gardener. Jake has worked in public radio in Barrow, Alaska, and New York City, from one extreme of this country to the other. During the pandemic, Jake combined his love for radio and his love for gardening in a special series called WDET at Home, where he spoke with co-host Anna Marie Seisling about cooking, keeping kids occupied, and how to start a garden. On the show, they've interviewed expert gardeners and taken live questions from listeners. They inspire conversation about gardening, about community, and what it takes to get through tough times. I'm thrilled to welcome Jake Neer today to the Make Meaning Podcast. So I'd like to begin by asking when you knew you were a storyteller. So you've said you like telling other people's stories, especially I'm quoting the stories of people who are often overlooked or ignored. So tell me, when did this begin? How did you get that interest? Well, first of all, I'm going to say that, um, you know, I I hope you don't... um, uh, regret having me on because I'm going to get philosophical right off the bat here. But I, I've been thinking about this idea a lot lately about what it means to be a storyteller. And uh, I've, I've been obsessed, completely obsessed with this podcast that's uh, by storytelling guru uh, Brian McDonald and his business partner, Jesse Bryan, called You Are a Storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you could probably gather, the premise is that everyone is a storyteller. In fact, uh, they say, and and I believe this, that stories are literally built into what makes us human. I mean, it's how we communicate. uh, And I think even more important, it's how we connect with people, including and especially people that we don't know, people we've never met, who are no longer living, uh, and many times just completely made up. Um, So, uh, you know, anyone who knows me well is sick of me talking about this, but I I really do believe like if you're 
you're a human being, you are a storyteller. Mm -hmm. uh, even most professions, I'd argue, include uh, an element of storytelling. Like even if you're a mathematician, mm -hmm. you're dealing with equations and numbers. But if you have to explain to someone why that work matters or how you apply it practically, mm -hmm. you're telling stories. So I, I think that everyone should think of themselves as a professional storyteller, even no matter what you're doing. Um, but for me specifically, I think it's been ingrained in me since I was really small, since I was a little kid. Um, I probably got it a lot from my parents and especially my dad, um, mm -hmm. who always has been and still is a very prolific storyteller. Uh, uh -huh. he, he'd make up a new story or two every single night as he was putting me to bed, as a lot of parents would. And, and oh. to me, they were always so interesting and creative. And as I got older, um, I, I don't remember too many specific things that I learned or did in elementary school, but I uh -huh. do remember fifth grade, Mrs. Galeta's class, shout out Mrs. Galeta, uh, <laughs> rest in peace. Uh, she, she had an, <laughs> she had an hour every afternoon where we would read a book for a half an hour and then we would write for a half an hour. And, mm -hmm. uh, us fifth graders at the time we were pumped because that was the year we got our first laptops and I'm putting oh. laptops in quotes because they were just the most like basic word processors. <laughs> But they could print, which was huge at the time, yeah, yeah. Um, which was it was like a game changer. Um, and I would just write and write and write just completely made up stories. But I really do think that that writing those writing sessions were kind of foundational mm. um, in terms of thinking about what made a good story and then trying to put it into words and structuring it so that it made sense. I just love that your teacher did that because she was teaching you, you know, first of all, independence mm -hmm. and to trust your own voice, which is so powerful and doesn't happen a lot. But she also was teaching you that, you know, writers read and, mm -hmm. and putting that reading first so that you are absorbing other people's voices, the mechanics of storytelling, the differences from one book to the next or one story to the next. And um, I think a lot of people miss that. You know, I've, I've been a writer my whole life and I, when I'm reading a lot, I'm much more energized to write than when I'm just sort of racing, taking the kids places, so busy with everything. Yeah, I have to sit and read and let those words penetrate in order for me to get the creative juices flowing. So yeah. what a brilliant teacher. That's so cool that you I did mean, that. I love that. Think, think about trying to be a jazz musician and never having heard jazz before, right? right. Like, yeah. you, like you have to absorb it. Like you have to sort of like breathe it in and like be around it all the time uh, just to be in the mindset, I think. I mean, you have to have that inspiration and, uh, and even more so, um, it just teaches you in a really sort of easy, I, I guess easy is the word I would say, but like a, in a way that just lets you absorb structure and lets you mm -hmm. absorb what is interesting about a story without even thinking about it. Right. I mean, you just yeah. know from doing it. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I'm going to say, so my next question was, how did you then channel this into radio? Cause you know, I work in marketing, but I've been a writer all my life and I was a print journalist for a long time before I was in marketing. Um, but I mean, I'm listening to your voice and I'm like, of course you're on radio. You have this great radio <laughs> voice, but like, you know, what made you want to choose that medium? What, what pulled you to it? Well, when I chose it, I did not have a good radio voice, but I, that's a longer <laughs> story. Uh, speaking of music, I mean, I was obsessed with music and that's what got me into radio in the first place. I don't mm -hmm. think I was thinking about it in terms of storytelling, although, you know, now uh, as a 33 year old, I'm like, of course it's storytelling, right? I just went on a whole spiel about that. But yeah. um, the, the way I got into radio was I was extremely lucky because my high school had a student radio station mm -hmm. uh, and even luckier uh, because it was maybe the only high 
high school station, at least at the time, that offered radio broadcasting as an elective class. So um, so my friend and I, I remember sitting in the cafeteria of our high school, flipping through our cast ca- uh, class catalog mm-hmm. uh, at the end of freshman year, just trying to figure out what classes to take as sophomores. And there was a class. It was called Fundamentals of Radio Broadcasting. Uh, and I was like, I got to take this. Like, you know, I, I love, maybe I could, uh, you know, uh, see what it's like to host a music show. Um, mm-hmm. And so I took it. I learned the basics of putting a show together mm-hmm. and audio editing. Same yep. software that I use today is what, oh what I learned then when I was uh, 15. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was hooked. I, I, uh, I applied for the radio staff the very next semester. I got in and mm-hmm. literally have not looked back since then. So oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. So what have been some of your favorite stories, like people you've interviewed or events you've covered, you know, sort of the deep common humanity that you find to develop your stories? Tell me some of your favorites. Um, one of my favorites uh, was when I was a reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Uh, I was working with Rick Pluta in Lansing covering the state capitol. I did mm-hmm. that from 2012 to 2016. Mm-hmm. I kind of found this weird niche uh, in the pre- ca- uh, the capitol press corps as the, the medical marijuana reporter guy. I don't know <laughs> how that happened. Um, I, I swear it was not an interest thing, but it was, <laughs> you know, but the issues were so interesting to me. Um, people were losing their kids. People Mm. were being thrown in jail, even though they had this card that said they were legal medical marijuana patients. Mm. Um, And that struck me. So one of the stories that I, that I did uh, was about a family who their children were taken away Mm. because they had a compound that was found in their house. The white, the the mother and the the family was having a medical emergency. Mm. The medical staff showed up with, police. The police decided to search the house while they were there. They happened to just see this resin Mm. while they were there, Mm -hmm. took it to the state lab. And the lab concluded that um, it was possible, and that's the keyword possible, that the uh, substance was made in a lab. Mm. And I'm not going to try to get too technical here, but there's a, there was at least at the time, I'm not sure if it's still true, a difference in state law where um, a substance that came from a plant was Mm -hmm. considered okay, or at least less illegal Mm -hmm. than a substance that was made in a factory, basically in a a lab. Um, And every every expert I I, um, talked to said, there's no way that this was made in the lab in the first place, but also this is really unfair and they're going to lose their kid. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, um, the the story got, it just sort of spiraled. Uh, It got into all these things about the state police crime lab and Mm. and all of the, the, there was a director who left because he was feeling pressure from prosecutors to make certain decisions. Mm. Um, But at the core of the story was this family Mm -hmm. who simply was, you know, they, they were, they had a medical marijuana card. They were just trying to be, you know, responsible patients and responsible parents. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they were very much in trouble of losing their child. And in the Mm -hmm. end, after the story came out, their child, the, the state reversed course and, uh, and they, they did not lose their child. So, um, so that was one that's really stuck with me for a long time. Um, because, um, it was an intersection of all of these issues that weren't people weren't aware of at the time that were really technical and really policy based. Mm-hmm. But I think people could attach to it because it was such a compelling human story at the same time. 
Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So many things going on there, but I see that deep common humanity because this fear of losing your kid, the the nuances of legal language and the unfairness of it, and also being able to advocate for yourself or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, oh, there's so many stories in that. So yeah, very yeah. Cool. That's awesome. I, I probably should have made a much longer. I should have like if podcasts were a bigger thing back then, I probably would have made it into a podcast because there were so many things to pick apart and I had to like try to fit them all in a four minute story, but I I did my best. <laughs> could have been a series, you know, yeah, like an eight mm-hmm. episode podcast or something. Right. Cool. Yep. Well, you never know. You could always go back. Where are they now? How's the <laughs> right. kid doing now? You know? It's a good question. All right. So let's put a pin in the journalistic line of questioning for a minute. And I want to pivot to your gardening obsession. Um, Tell me where that came from and what you most enjoy growing. So, you know, I think gardening has always been like in the back of my head, even when I was in college, you know, living in apartments, it's tough to, you know, have a, have a, a garden. Mm-hmm. But I know I was really idealistic when I was in college. I was thinking, oh, like I need to learn how to garden so I'm more self-sufficient and like all these things. Um, and I could talk more about how I my opinions on that have changed like a 180 since then. But, <laughs> but I'll, I'll save that. Okay. But, um, but uh, you know, ever since my entire like, you know, ever since we graduated from college, my wife and I, we, we mm-hmm. went to Central Michigan together mm-hmm. uh, and then we moved up to Barrow, Alaska, which was the first yeah. place that I lived uh, right after college. And even then in a place where you literally cannot have a garden. I mean, the, gr- the yeah. ground is permafrost. It's, <laughs> you know, the, 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 there is literally no daylight uh, for two months out of the year in the oh winter, oh uh, the you know, shortest growing season in America. Uh-huh. Um, we hadn't, we, we bought an arrow garden, you know, okay. like a little hydroponic thing where you could yeah. like buy, you know, grow little herbs and things yeah. like that. Uh-huh. And it sort of like very slowly grew pun intended from there. Uh, <laughs> that the next year we moved to New York, uh-huh. all we had was just a little fire escape, but we bought, you know, a few plants to put out on the fire escape, which I thought was really cool. We got a tomato uh-huh. that was probably uh-huh. about the size of a golf ball. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of failure for a very long time, lots of, um, patio gardens, a lot of deck or, uh, you know, kind of yeah. small things. And then the, in the house that, that we live in now, um, we were looking around Royal Oak where we live. Mm-hmm. And this was the only house that had like an extra deep lot. Anyone who knows Royal Oak knows that, you know, small lots, most of the place, m- yeah. most, most of uh, Royal Oak. And mm-hmm. this one had a big backyard and we went in the back and there were eight raised beds that were <gasps> built in this little, like very small section of the, like the whole neighborhood is feels like there's, it's all shaded except for Uh this one little spot in in this backyard right over these eight raised beds. Uh And, and immediately I'm like, I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, that like, uh, this is, this is something that I want to take on. Like I've, Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to do it right. I've just never had the space. So for the last three years, since we've been in this house, um, that's when the interest became an obsession and Uh became, uh, a, uh, maybe uh, at times, uh, you know, too much of an obsession. But uh, in terms of my favorite things to grow, um, it sort of changes every year. I feel like every year there's something different. Um, mm-hmm. uh, tomatoes are very like instantly gratifying, right? Because yeah. they're very prolific and, yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, but 
one of my favorite things is last year we uh, grew sugar pie pumpkins, like, Ooh. you know, little small pumpkins. Yeah. And I didn't even know that we had the space to do it or or anything. I just sort of like threw a couple seeds in the ground and was uh-huh. like, maybe, maybe this will work. Uh-huh. And we only got two sugar pie pumpkins. It was uh-huh. not, you know, a, a great harvest, but that's enough to make a pie. And we made a yeah. pie and it was, that is so cool. It was great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know what? I planted um, watermelon this year and I mean, I have a, an enclosed little garden. And as I told you at the beginning of the episode, it was very flat and flooded recently with all the torrential rains. But I noticed today there are two marble sized melons growing and I'm just so excited. Like I can't wait to see them get bigger. So like, who knew, you know, we just tried. I was just, I was just thinking that this is the year for me of the, uh, the mini cantaloupe. That's what's doing really well for me this year for some reason. Uh, and it's from seeds that I saved from two years ago, which made me even more happy about it. But we've got all like, probably a dozen, uh, small, uh, they're called Minnesota midget cantaloupes. Uh Um, and we, yeah, we have like 12 of them growing and one of them's like the size of a, of a softball already. I'm really excited for that. Oh, that's awesome. Very, very cool. I want pictures when, when they're all ripe. So I want to see that. Um, okay. So during the pandemic, you created a special series on WDET called at home with your co-host Anna Marie Seisling. So tell me a little bit about the series and what inspired it. Um, I think that when we, thought about what people wanted to listen to during the pandemic. There was the, uh, there were the obvious things, right? There were, you know, up-to-date information about the virus, how it was spreading, how to protect yourself, what the government was doing, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, everyone was suddenly home, right? Yeah. Like suddenly we weren't at the office, we weren't doing things like, we had all these opportunities to do things that we never had time for before. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were cooking. A lot of people were getting into bread making, like all these things, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, uh, I think it was our program director, Joan Isabella said, maybe it's worth, cause I, I, you know, of course I'm like pushing the gardening thing, right? I'm like, Oh, like we'd love to do so. I'd love to talk gardening in some (laughs) form somehow. And she's like, maybe we could run with that. Maybe there are a couple things that we could do. Um, Mm -hmm. and Delisi, the host at our music host at our station was doing a a cooking segment. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, let's put these things together. Let's, let's Mm. do a series of shows where it's like things that we can do at home. And um, my co-producer on Detroit Today, which is the show that I'm the senior producer on at WDET, uh, Anna Marie Seisling, uh, Mm -hmm. she is uh, even more into gardening than I am. I mean, her, uh, she and her partner have like uh, a whole side lot now that they're Mm. gardening in Detroit and just like really, really, uh, you know, doing it upright. Uh, and so we were both like, Oh, this is something we could really, we sink our teeth into. Um, and we did two shows. Uh, we had, uh, a mix of gardening experts and people who are just well known Mm -hmm. on YouTube and things like that for gardening, Mm -hmm. uh, to just, you know, share their thoughts and lots of listeners calling up and saying, Hey, I don't know how to grow blueberries. How do I grow blueberries? <laughs> and they would be like, well, you have to have acidic soil and all these things, you know? So it was, it was very informational, but it was also really fun. I'm so glad we did that. That is super cool. So tell me about how you garden. Like, is this a solitary pursuit or do you bring your kids into it? Um, or is this something you and your wife share? Um, tell me a little bit about the sort of community that's grown up around your gardening. Oh yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, I mean, everyone in the, in the house has, has a role. I'm the one that is like completely obsessed. So I'm, I, I start um, just 
trays and trays of seeds in the in the spring and in the winter actually Mm -hmm. uh starting in february and so i'm i'm planting out um usually like seven of the eight beds Uh, Mm -hmm. my wife uh, takes the lead on one of the beds uh, which is our cut flower bed Mm -hmm. um and so that's her that's like her territory right there Uh but the kids are always in the garden i mean i that's one of my absolute favorite things about having a garden, especially one of the size that we're, you know, so lucky to have, um, you know, they can, they can just walk around and explore and pick things off of vines as long as it's ripe, which is Mm -hmm. sometimes a struggle, but, (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, um, my, my son, Joshua, who's my six-year-old is Mm -hmm. like, you know, he has his tomato plant, right. That he, his name is Jerry, the tomato plant, by the way. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and that's his to take care of. Right. So Uh he can, it's, it's up to him to make sure that it's growing and and healthy. Um, and my two-year-old now, uh, Sammy Mm -hmm. is, uh, just loves harvesting as you can Mm -hmm. imagine, you know, he's always asking me for peas, uh, and carrots. He loves Uh pulling carrots out of the ground and uh-huh. uh and eating them and you know so it's um you know it's just amazing to watch my kids explore this uh this thing that I've grown I mean I it's just like the, the greatest thing for a dad it's really cool because you know my kids are all teenagers now but when they were little we would do activities that just basically were being outside and sort of getting to know nature. We would go to like the blueberry orchard or mm-hmm. you know pick apples in the fall and there, we would go out to Blake's actually um you know, way out in Macomb County and we would pick everything that we'd pick broccoli, we'd pick tomatoes, we'd pick um, pumpkins and, you know, and yeah. they will try all kinds of vegetables. They always have because yeah. their hands are on it. And so it's like, well, why not eat this? And so <laughs> it's just a great thing to do. And it, and it's a great activity. It's just, yeah. Absolutely. Them. I mean, you know, if you want your, and I think that the, um, I'm trying to remember who said this, uh, um, I believe his name is Rob Finley. Uh, he's out in uh, Los Angeles. He has the greatest TED talk on gardening of all time, by the okay. way. Um, but uh, Ron Finley, sorry, Ron, Ron. Finley. Okay. Uh, and and he's like, if you want, you want a kid to eat kale. Yeah. Have him grow kale. Yeah. He'll eat it, right? Yeah. He or she yeah. will 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 try it. If they grow it, they'll try it, right? And, which mm-hmm. is more than you can say if you just plop it on a plate in front of them. Absolutely. Um, my my kids, you know, uh, Sammy, my two year old again, he asked me for kale, and mm-hmm. and I'll go over and get it. And sometimes I'll hand the leaf to him, and he'll refuse to eat it. <laughs> but <laughs> but at least you know he, you know he knows what it is, and and sometimes yep. he'll he'll eat it and he'll enjoy it, and um and you know it, it's a good introduction too because they you know I. I will, you know, I think it's pretty, um, well known for most home gardeners that they, the taste is, is so much better, yeah. uh, from, yeah. you know, you just pick it and it's so fresh and, oh, and, yeah. uh, the way that we buy produce right now, it's like, uh, if you buy a tomato is pick green, right. Because they have yeah. to let it ripen while it's not in root. So, right, um, right. you, you can't, you can't beat the, the, the taste of homegrown. And so kids will like it more because it just tastes better. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're reminding me of a a poet I studied with many years ago at the University of Iowa Summer Writers Workshop, Michael Carey. And he had four kids. Um, He had a farm and he was was a poet. And he had each child choose a tree that they wanted to plant on the property. And then it was their responsibility. And so whether it lived or died, you know, thrived or suffered, um, it was in their hands. And Mm -hmm. in this book, I can't remember the title of this book, I'll put it in the show notes. But um, 
he he wrote um, poems for each letter in the Gaelic alphabet. His family wow. was Irish. And so one, I forget what letter it was, but there was birch tree was what he um, ascribed to it. And one of his daughters chose a birch and he's like, they don't do well in Iowa. This is pretty far south. And But if you want it, that's fine. And it really did well because wow. she gave it her love and attention. This was her, her thing to nurture. And it did well. I mean, it was just so, it was an amazing poem. So I'll put that in the yeah. show notes and I'll send it to you so you can see it. But that um, was the first time anyone has ever compared me to a poet. So I appreciate ah, that. <laughs> there you go. You never know. You never know. All kinds of forms and evolutions. Yeah. So, um, so in Detroit, are you seeing like community gardens really grow and, and expand? You know, how, how is gardening changing the landscape or the sense of ownership in the city? What, what do you see there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i going to go back to Ron Finley here because one of the things he says is that gardening is a revolutionary act mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a world where we depend so much. And this is so so obvious after the uh, pandemic, mm-hmm. in a world where supply chains have broken down, we depend on these things to, to get the food that we need. Uh, and especially for communities that are oppressed and that uh, have traditionally been left out of fresh food and mm-hmm. uh, and and even just uh, the the ability to um, have control and freedom over their own choices over food mm-hmm. gardening is revolutionary and yeah. I think that that is it is a uh, sentiment that has only grown as far as I can tell in in Detroit um, I know that there's you know we we have we now have a a vineyard in Detroit of all mm. things, you know, something that you would never think of if you were driving down the road in Detroit to expect to see a vineyard. But uh-huh. um, yeah, I think that that, you know, and especially because now uh, there's this sense of, um, you know, a lot of neighborhoods, uh, a lot of um, houses have come down. People are able to, um, you know, uh, get side lots. As I mentioned, my mm-hmm. my co-producer Anna has a side lot that she gardens in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just more opportunity, I think, to to do that kind of thing. Um, I think, you know, as someone who came of age as a reporter in Detroit. Um, probably 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, there was almost an oversaturation of stories about urban gardening and like, yeah. let's just turn Detroit into a giant farm, right? <laughs> but which, you know, I, I think that there's there is something to be said for the, the potential, mm-hmm. but I think that um, what was ignored in a lot of those stories was really about reclaiming uh, ownership, like you said, over, mm-hmm. over land and over, um, you know, the your own food security and your own ability to just produce something that um, that you could that could both nourish you physically and and otherwise. Um, so I think that there's um, there's there are so many wonderful stories around that. Um, again, my my co-producer Anna has a whole series in WDET right now called Rooted, where uh-huh. she takes really sort of individual looks at a lot of those things that are happening. Uh, highly recommend that series. Very cool. Cool. Well, we will definitely put all of that in the show notes, I promise. Um, I just have a couple more questions for you. And so first, I'd like to hear about your passion for dirt. So how do you (laughs) cultivate a healthy soil that grows really robust plants? Talk to me about dirt. Well, this is like, okay, I'm going to get philosophical again. So I think one of the coolest things about gardening is that you learn to appreciate things that you didn't appreciate before, right? Like mm-hmm. if you could think of like the one, like a thing in society that we is synonymous with devalued or like, you know, um, uh, just valueless, uh-huh. 
uh-huh. it's dirt, right? Oh you're yeah. Dirt poor. You're, you know, <laughs> like it, it, dirt, dirt is considered this, it's dirty. Like well, who wants it? Right. 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 But as a gardener, you're like, no, dirt is everything. <laughs> it's literally everything. And, and sorry to do be the millennial that uses literally too much, but, <laughs> but I mean, I, that's how I feel. So, you know, you get into composting, which I have done. I've, mm-hmm. we have a tumbler again, that we also inherited from the previous owners of the house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the process of taking this stuff the leaves that fall in the, in the fall, in the mm-hmm. autumn and that everyone sweeps out to the curb and just throws away. Right. Right. Uh, and you take it, you chop it up, you put it in your compost pile uh, and the grass clippings that people throw away, all these things, you put those things together, you mix them and you wait. They, for one thing, amazing. They start to heat up super hot, which is mm. so cool. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's like, like, you know, you don't, think of, of how that happens, but it's literally microbes uh-huh. breaking this stuff down. Huh. And these things that you're going to throw away otherwise become this amazing, amazing soil that you can put right out on your, on your beds and mm-hmm. uh, that feed your plants, which then feed you. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, uh, it's one of those really eye-opening things to me yeah that um and and um, another shout out here charles dowding uh Mm -hmm. is a really um well-known uh no dig gardener in england who uh is sort of the godfather of no dig and his Uh whole thing is about um you know instead of tilling the soil instead of like working all this stuff up and breaking the uh structure of the soil and disturbing the microbes and all like the whole environment that lives the 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 whole ecosystem in the soil mm-hmm. uh, leave it alone put put compost on top and mm-hmm. you'll be amazed by the results and the mm-hmm. reason for that it's not about it's not really as much about the compost it's like the whole idea is instead of feeding your plants with fertilizers and things like that, which I'm not, I'm not opposed to, but, Mm -hmm. um, feed the soil, right. Yeah. Feed the ecosystem, feed all the things that exist in there that Uh make it this like amazing thing. Uh Um, you know, I, uh, there, there's fungus networks in the soil that go miles and miles, like all the way around the the Mm -hmm. continent, basically that are what attach the nutrients to your plants in the Mm -hmm. roots. Uh, and, and, it's like mind blowing to me. It's like, um, you, you, you think of this thing that you just walk on and tread on all day long mm-hmm. as something completely different as something that is miraculous in many yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, so that, that is one of the things that has really, uh, been amazing to me again, instead of, instead of, uh, feeding plants, feed your soil and oh. they, it, it will give back to you. I mean, that's, that's just yeah. the coolest thing. Awesome. Do you also do like vegetable scraps and things like that in your compost? Yeah. Do you do, do, you do eggshells? I do. In fact, okay. I I um, have gotten into uh, actually taking, what is it called? Those things that you sort of like pound, uh, like you, you make a mallet. Uh, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Uh, it's, uh-huh. Or like, um, it's like a grist. I don't remember. Anyway, okay. it's like, you know, um, I, you're really, really working the, the eggshells down. Oh. So that they're really tiny so that they'll break huh. down a lot faster, but they're wonderful for the compost pile. Okay. I would highly recommend any, any gardener, uh, don't throw the eggshells away, you know, throw okay. those in your compost and, okay. and that'll, you know, you'll get calcium, you'll get all these things that are really great for your plants. Awesome. 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 Okay. So what tips do you have for listeners who want to try gardening? Where do they begin? 
Um, I would say it depends on what you're, what you've got available to you. Like I said, um, when I started, I had literally no actual outside space available, uh, uh-huh. in the, in the most harsh climate, uh, in, Amer- in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so, so if, if I can start there, you can start, I guarantee it. Um, yeah. I, I would say, um, start, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to start small, especially mm-hmm. if you're sort of not sure if, mm-hmm. if it's something that you want to continue doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, even if all you have is a windowsill, you know, put a couple plants, go out, mm-hmm. even just buy a couple of seedlings, sure. um, try to find a really sunny Southern exposure if you can. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and see what happens, uh, especially okay. herbs, uh, okay. are a great thing to start with because you can grow them inside without too much trouble. Okay. Um, and if you have some space outside, um, you know, uh, you don't have to do too much. Just get mm-hmm. a little potting soil, uh, just plant one seed and, and see what happens. I guarantee you're going to, you're going to be really invested in that plant, uh, really quickly. Um, and if you want to start on a bigger scale, I do not discourage that. I, you know, <laughs> I, I really dove in head first once we had this a, a ability to do uh, go bigger. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I, I'd say grow a bunch of stuff if you can and, mm-hmm. and see how, see how you do um, uh, and see what you like, uh, because mm-hmm. you're not going to like every plant that you grow. Uh, mm-hmm. You're not, you're not going to get great results. And sometimes they're even really experienced gardeners. There's like this one plant that they just cannot get to produce. So mm-hmm. don't feel bad if it doesn't work out, just see what, what is the most gratifying for you and keep going from there. Awesome. That's great advice. So on this show, we always focus on how people find meaning in work and purpose in life. And I'm personally fascinated with how people find their voice. So I would like to close by asking you about what you would say is your path to finding purpose or finding your voice and what advice you might offer our listeners for going in search of theirs. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's always a continuation, right? I mean, it's, it's, that's something that you never stop, uh, on the, on the path and say, this is my voice. This is you know, what, what I'm, um, uh, where I am and where I will be. But I will say that, um, the, the most important thing for me has been, uh, especially just, just trying to broaden my horizons. I know that that's a little bit cliche, but, um, listening to, to people talk, uh, you know, meeting people, watching YouTube videos, um, of, you know, people just talking about their lives, listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I get so much from other people and what they, uh, find meaning in. So, which I think is just so great for this podcast. I do is exactly what you do. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is, um, learning what people are passionate about. And when you connect with that, when you connect with another person and the stories that they're telling to go full circle here, um, and, and you, uh, and you're like, wow, like, like that, that really hits me, Mm -hmm. right? Like this person is very passionate about this thing, uh, that, you know, now I'm, I'm really interested in that. Let's see where it goes. Um, I think those are, that's sort of what set me on a lot of those paths, but um, you know, the things that, that bring me the most meaning in my daily life are being a dad as Mm -hmm. most parents uh, know that is, that is a a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also just um, 
you know, just trying to uh, express in as many ways possible uh, the things that I'm feeling passionate about and, and doing it in an unabashed way. Like I've been doing for this entire interview, <laughs> uh, you know, and not, not being, and, and here's maybe the biggest thing for me is that if there's something that you find meaning in and something that you're passionate about, uh, don't feel bad about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like be, be a geek, be a nerd. <laughs> I, I have so embraced my nerdiness in, in my, <laughs> in my thirties that, um, because, you know, it is, uh, it's what I connect with other people about, you know, when people are really passionate and nerdy about something, uh, I, I think that that's just the most amazing thing because that's what is making them, um, you know, get through the day and, and, and really find meaning in life. And so that's, that's my spiel. Well, all the best people are nerds. And so it's a great <laughs> thing. Do it nerd out. I love it. Fake near. I have so loved having you on the make meaning podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Lynn. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.